Hope you are having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I'm your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic Roan County, Tennessee. And we do have the added extra advantage of a larger than usual live crowd as once again we are simulcasting with the great folks over at WCET. On a Friday night. Looking forward to tonight's broadcast is certainly still basking in the glow of what was a presidential debate that actually resembled a little more like a debate as opposed to just a free-for-all and uh, an attempt to just throw down a, a broken pool stick and and see what happens. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Although that may be more entertaining. Uh, Before we get into uh, everything, though, I have managed to dig up a few stories that are not directly related to the debate. It was hard to find news that wasn't related in one way or the other, uh, either uh, transgenderly connected via the Hunter Biden continuing saga or directly to the debate. But there were some things that happened and some of them very noteworthy. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Also, in the second hour tonight, at the bottom of the second hour, 
of the live broadcast. I am scheduled to be joined by Danielle D'Souza Gill. Yes, uh, the name D'Souza maybe sounds a little familiar to you. That's because this young lady is the daughter of Dinesh D'Souza. But uh, I try not to put too much emphasis on that because this young lady is a fantastic conservative mind in her own right. She's an author. Uh, Her second book is out now, and uh, we'll be discussing that. Uh, The title, of course, is The Choice. The Abortion Divide in America. There is a link to Amazon, uh, to the book, by the way, uh, in the show description. It doesn't look like the usual links to do for some reason. Uh, it stayed white, but it is italicized, boldened, and underlined, so uh, it's still easy to tell apart from the rest. Uh, feel free to check out the book, and hey, pick up a copy while you're at it. All right. With that being said, I want to give a quick shout out to the folks that I know for sure are listening, and those would be the people in the chat room. First one in, and usually first one in, the host of a fantastic show in its own right known as Simple Facts of Life. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the chat room, Chief. The Chief, of course, uh, can be found uh, – What's what's a good word? Um, I was trying to think of something complimentary uh, and yet obscure. Uh, at any rate, uh, Chief spends his time uh, pointing out how current events are still easily relatable to some very simple facts of life. He does a great job of it. Uh, also, I want to give a shout-out to Bigfoot, who uh, is in here as well. Bigfoot is, of course, a blogger extraordinaire. Uh, don't Believe me, don't take my word for it. Go see for yourself. You can find him at bigfootsplace.blogspot.com. I know I've mentioned that several times. The same thing with Chief, by the way. Uh, Don't take my word for it. Go see for yourself. You can go to blogtalkradio.com. Once you're on the homepage, you'll see a little search bar at the top. You can, if you so choose, probably be much easier uh, getting you directly there, put in Q-M-C-U-S-N. You'd run that search, it'll take you straight to it. But if you're listening uh, on the radio, driving around somewhere, and uh, maybe you are listening to the rebroadcast on one of the great radio stations across the country that does that, maybe it's not convenient for you to sit there and type that in. So later on when you're checking out Blog Talk Radio and you're like, okay, what was that? What was that? Uh, If you put in simple facts of life, you'll have to scroll down just a little, but you'll still find it, and it's pretty easy to remember. Okay, Friday, Friday, Friday. What a week. What a week. We had the Democrats try to play a little stunt in an effort to try and prevent the quorum on the committee vote to move Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the main floor for debate and then voting to become the next justice on the Supreme Court. They were playing their shenanigans. They were planning on doing a boycott, and they still kind of did. They would set up their boycott earlier, and here's what they did in case you missed it, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but uh, they set up this boycott, and they put up life-size posters of people that they claim are going to be hurt should Obamacare be overturned, should it be found unconstitutional. These are the people who are going to suffer. Uh, only they called a news conference for roughly about 10 o'clock a.m. local time uh, to discuss exactly what they're going to do. <laughs> Screw that. We want to hear about the debate. 
<laughs> you, there's a ton of places you could have heard about the debate, Chief. A ton of places. It's almost nonstop all you've heard. I, we'll talk a little bit about it, but I don't want to take up a lot of time. I don't like wasting a whole lot of time on stuff that everybody's talking about, unless I am also riled up. But at any rate, uh, they called the conference, uh, this little news conference, at 10 a.m. because the vote was scheduled for later in the afternoon, somewhere around 2, I believe, if memory serves correct. And uh, then uh, Mitch uh, – not Mitch McConnell, but uh, Lindsey Graham then says, hey, you know what? Democrats want to play shenanigans. <laughs> we can too. They actually moved the vote till nine. So they literally had already had the vote by the time by the time the Democrats had their press conference that they were going to it had already happened. It was over. It's a done deal. And Lindsey Graham, uh, being the chairman of this committee, changed the rules. <coughs> Um, so that they could proceed with none – what's what's the word here? Uh, well, they, they didn't have to have the participation from the other party. By rights, they had the numbers, but the problem was they are supposed to have a bipartisan participation, part of the rules in this particular uh, committee. So they just ignored the rule that required bipartisan participation. So none of the Democrats had to be there. They passed the vote and clear and moved it forward, and now we are probably going to have Justice Amy Coney Barrett early to mid-next week. We'll see what happens. Obviously more shenanigans afoot, but one of my favorite moments from said shenanigans, if you watched – the uh, press conference, or if you've watched footage of the press conference since then, which is what I've done, uh, you can hear a lot of leftist whining protesters that literally they're they're using blowhorns, they're they're honking cars, they're you're yelling and screaming, and they're trying to drown out the the man who had to have a talking to Diane Feinstein. Mr. Chucky Schumer, who's supposed to be in charge of the Democrats in the Senate, they were being shouted down, and they were yelling all kinds of stuff, blaming them for letting it get this far. Kind of would be a good time to educate these young folks. Sorry, guys. And it happened up the committee vote ended up being unanimous. Yes, yes, it did. Uh, Chief in the chat room, sorry. Uh, So... uh, it's time to educate some of these uh, young folks who don't seem to understand that the Democrats really, given this form of government, they're in the current state where they had no power to stop any of it. There was literally nothing they can do because these rules have been in place for a long time, and if the shoe was on the other foot, they'd be doing exactly the same thing. We know that. We know they tried. We know they, that they whine. They go on. They complain. It's like, okay, whatever, guys. It's a big crybaby moment, but I love the fact that Chucky e. Schumer trying to have his pout fit was already undercut because the vote had already taken place, and the crowd that was there that was supposed to be their crowd was angry with them. So there you go. Great moment. Um, very, very newsworthy uh, announcement was uh, made today that um, – that there is a new member of the community 
that is now officially recognizing Israel. Evidently, Sudan has now officially joined alongside uh, countries like uh, the UAE and Bahrain, and they are acknowledging uh, Israel. They are seeking a peace treaty with Israel. They're going to do the whole embassy things. A big deal. And, of course, this announcement comes just after Trump had said that he has informed Congress of his plan to remove Sudan from the U.S. list of state sponsors of terrorism, provided that the Arab nation pays $335 million to American terror victims and their families. So they're having to jump through this hoop, but then they get taken off the list, and they want to play nice. So again, that I think is one of the more interesting parts of what could have been a huge part of the national – well, the international policy debate that the third presidential debate is always supposed to be if there had been at least some discussion of how much closer to legitimate peace in the Middle East we are now because of the Trump administration. Uh, Trump should have tried – now, Trump did very good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grade him an A-. minus. He still could have been a little sharper, a little crisper, could have been a little more precise communicator. I don't expect that from him anymore, but he had some opportunities that he kind of missed because he bumbled a little bit, not because he didn't have command of the facts, but because he was trying too hard to sound relatable, I think. I mean I, I could be wrong on that, but that's the feeling I got. That's the vibe I got. Trump was trying to make the point home, and he made this point very well several times. Joe Biden is a typical politician, talks a lot, does nothing. Gets rich while he's at it. He he made that point very well multiple times, and I think in an effort to contrast himself, he tried almost a little too hard to keep his speech beneath that of the bloviating uh, electorials. But uh, it's it's good news. Uh, another country of Sudan's actually joining. Uh, the family of nations that believe in uh, treating their neighbors fairly and equitably is a good step. It's a good first step, and that's certainly newsworthy, and you're not likely to hear too much discussion of it outside of conservative news outlets, and that's a shame. <coughs> Excuse me. Every major news outlet should be discussing it. Uh, there was also a report from Reuters today that kind of was flying below a lot of folks' radar. And then reportedly last week, the White House was moving forward with five separate cells of sophisticated military equipment to Taiwan with a total value of around $5 billion as the Trump administration ramps up pressure on China and concerns rise about Beijing's intentions toward Taiwan. So uh, the big news is that the U.S. State Department has officially approved $1.8 billion in potential arms sales to Taiwan. That is something we should kind of keep an eye on because that's the kind of thing that China is likely to get a little worked up about. And, of course, we had the news conference right before last night's debate coming from Tony Babalewski. Babalewski. Uh, this is something we definitely needed at this point, isn't it? Uh, we needed somebody with the name Babalewski. Bobolinsky, I what? Dude's coming forward, says he's mostly been a Democrat. He's not particularly political. When he has made contributions, it's always been to Democrats. Said that he was a business partner with Hunter Biden, and uh, that he knows for a fact Joe Biden was in on a lot of this stuff. 
So that's where things started last night. Hey, Gary is in the house. Gary Comforter has joined us uh, in the chat room. Uh, one of our great friends from uh, Canada. Haven't seen him uh, much in a while. Certainly have been missed, sir. Welcome into the chat room once again. Hopefully it still feels just as homey as it ever has. You're always welcome here, my friend. All right. Uh, now to appease Chief, I will spend just a few brief moments talking about the debate. Uh, I think there was a few things that were very telling uh, as far as how the debate proceeded. Uh, I think Donald Trump managed to be more controlled. He had better mannerisms. He was more relatable. He was more likable. I mean he didn't come across as some overbearing jerk who was trying to bully the old man, which is kind of – what the people who wanted to see that in the first place is kind of the impression a lot of people came away from with the first one. Now, Trump was, didn't do anything wrong in that first debate. I, I do think he would have done better. He would have been better served to let Joe kind of hang himself a little more, and those are some of the things that he in fact did do last night. Given that time uh, uninterrupted to talk… He did manage to come out and tell the world he's planning on doing away with the oil industry. Well, we're going to phase it out. That's not the same. This is right up there with Joe Biden on the campaign trail during the primaries telling people that, hey, if you work in coal mines, guess what? You're, if you go down there and you can do that, uh, you can learn to code, <laughs> right? Do people even still remember that? I mean it is out there. He said that. We talked about it when it happens. Yeah, what a great moment there, Joe. Of course, we were also talking uh, Wednesday night with Ron Edwards about all the things that Joe Biden did just in the primaries alone that would have ended an ordinary campaign, which is what has led me to believe that much like the preordained Hillary Clinton uh, campaign and nomination in the previous election cycle, Joe Biden was preordained. They wanted him because they know he's an empty vessel for them. They can control him. But the things that were clear from last night uh, – picking back in the chat room real quick. Chief says the opportunity that Trump missed was that he didn't ask Biden to go on the record uh, that the information on the laptop was false. Well, you know, he didn't praise it quite like that, but yeah, it would have been good for him to say that. He did make a straight, flat denial of everything uh, in regards to his involvement, and at the end of the day… A lot of what's on that laptop, based on what we've seen and heard to this point, is still mostly Hunter. Doesn't have a lot to do with Joe and doesn't really affect whether or not Joe should be president unless you're just going to uh, make those moral judgments of how good of a moral example could you be if this is uh, the uh, fruit of your labor, so to speak. And I kind of think that that's almost always a unfair assessment. Yeah, you, you can tell a lot about uh, how kids were raised uh, sometimes, uh, the job that the parents did. But uh, I think we have all seen a family that goes through the type of tragedy that their family had went through uh, that tend to fall apart. And uh, you know, Joe Biden, I don't think, ever fully mentally recovered from the loss of his first wife uh, and his son then, and I don't think he ever came all the way back after uh, Bo died. I just – I don't, and now his cognitive levels has me concerned. I'm still calling this elder abuse, but we saw. I, I mean we 
blatantly, obviously saw Joe Biden looking at his watch. What else did he have on his schedule for that time? Nothing. He wanted it over. He was done. All those times that he kept uh, going to the, come on, man, come on. I mean, it was what, nine, nine or ten times that he said that. Clearly, that is one of his tells, ladies and gentlemen. He's got no real response. So he goes to a canned answer and then finishes with, come on. If this was a poker game, that's his tell. He has no stamina. He he was okay for Joe Biden for the first 35 to 45 minutes, maybe. I might be being a little too generous. But you could tell about halfway through that debate last night, about halfway through. He was done. He was spent. He was tired. He wanted to go back to the basement. You saw the change in the demeanor, and you saw how short and how if the moderator hadn't intervened, Biden would have completely lost it a couple of times. Because he was getting angry at some of these things he was having to answer for, and Trump was actually much more precise with how he made the innuendos and then flat out address the comment. I mean, I love the comment that was just off the cup and say, hey, well, you know, uh, right out the bait, they're talking about COVID. It's like, you know, I, I can't stay in the basement like Joe has. I mean, Joe, Joe can afford to stay in the basement. Most of us can. He's, he's obviously made some money somewhere. That, that was a, that was like, okay, Trump is, he's on a roll. He's already trolling him. That's going to just sit there and percolate. That's going to be in Biden's mind the rest of this, the night. And it does set up well for the rest of the discussion. Donald Trump should have worked more in to, uh, to this debate in regards to the accomplishments that he's had in the Middle East that earned him three separate nominations for a Nobel Peace Prize. He should have worked that in somewhere. I, I, I don't know how exactly, uh, but you know he didn't necessarily have to stay on script. He did a good job of – trying to give Joe Biden a chance to go on the record to, to clean that stuff up. He, he worked that in in a nice spot. It worked well. He was more controlled. He was more tactical, and uh, he did a fairly good job most of the night of uh, responding to the untruths directed at him. And more importantly, he came across as the guy that he seemed to be in the first uh, go-around back in 2016. So I think he did well. Uh, I, I think he became – I don't think a lot of minds were changed, but I do think some of those folks who were on the fence that maybe felt a little cringy after that first debate, the folks that uh, are those white, suburban, college-educated women who just don't like Trump's uh, abrasive personality, I think they were heavily turned back off again. But uh, a lot of good points were made, and he managed to really pin home the fact that Joe Biden is Captain Lockdown, despite his denial. Uh, he managed to drive home the point, and hopefully folks in Pennsylvania were paying attention that he wants to get rid of fracking, that he said it. Biden flat out denied it. The video is everywhere. Uh, Trump had literally played that video of him saying he was going to – that there was no place – for fracking in America, especially under a Biden administration. Trump played that video at a rally just the day before. 
They had it up on the website before midnight last night, as well they should have. And uh, also, the one very unanswered question, almost, almost the only time Joe Biden didn't tell a flat-out lie was when they were talking about the illegal immigration. They kept trying to make the point about these 500-plus kids that have not been reunited with their parents as of yet. Loved Love Donald Trump asking Joe Biden, who built the cages, Joe? Who built the cages? Who built the cages? Joe, who built the cages? We know. You know. Bigfoot knows. Cajun knows. I know Gary knows. Chief knows. We all know. And I'm pretty sure that all you folks listening right now at WCET Radio and all you folks listening to the rebroadcast later, we all know. Who built those cages? That was Obama. <laughs> yeah, Chief in the chat room right now that said, note to self, if you're ever in a debate, never ask the other guy to play the video. <laughs> yeah, that was a very dumb move. But it, it was not the dumbest move of the evening, though. Uh, the dumbest move is after making the categorical denials that you never said you would do away with fracking – Later, admitting that you are going to move towards <clears throat> transitioning away from the oil industry. Translation, he has agreed to a whole bunch of Green New Deal BS that he thinks he can make happen. <laughs> the only one who doesn't know is Sergeant Schultz. <laughs> Once again, point well made, sir. Chief is uh, lighting it up today. Uh, obviously, it's Friday, and he's feeling fine, and that's good, and I hope you guys are too. I'm going to go ahead and uh, do the midway break. Uh, that's really about all I've got to say uh, directly about the debate myself. Uh, most of you guys I know saw it, and there's been a ton of coverage. If there's anything you missed, uh, you literally can look anywhere for it, uh, so I'm going to move on. Uh, anybody in the chat room, if you still have more to say, anything you'd like to point out, feel free, and I, and I don't mind revisiting any of the comments that you make. Uh, uh, be happy to do it if, uh, if it's something that you really feel like uh, it's being a discredit to the listeners that, that we haven't touched on it. But, I mean, again, Joe Biden proved that he is not physically or mentally prepared to do this job. He literally took four days off of campaigning. To rest up and be ready and still could only manage about 32 to 35 minutes of debate time before he needed to slip back in his slippers and go take a nap. Uh, if that's who you think is prepared to be the next president of the United States, you got no business voting, period. And uh, if you happen to work in a state where fracking or the oil industry is a major economic driver… If you think the shutdowns were bad, go ahead and vote Biden, Harris, and see how bad things get because even after the country opens back up, after your state opens back up, if you don't have those dollars still moving through, you're still shut down. All right, so let's do the uh, Edwards Notebook, the Songs and Stories for Soldiers and Veterans Tip of the Day. Probably a WCET spot or two. You know, I'd like to do that uh, since we are on live with them and all. And, uh, you know, uh, we'll get back at it on the other side. You guys don't go anywhere, please. I'll be right back after this brief break. 
If it wasn't for Democrats saying that everything is unfair, Democrats would be a silent minority. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, ever since Democrats have been prevented from physically abusing black Americans by lynchings, rapings, burning black-owned homes, businesses, and churches via the Ku Klux Klan, Democrats switched to the rallying cry of unfair, unfair health care system, unfair education, unfair economy. Everything is just plain unfair, according to Democrats. Of course, their solution is to avoid any real solutions. Instead, Democrats seek to use their yelping claim of unfair everywhere to simply pit groups of Americans against one another and utilize the politics of division to accomplish the Democrats' goal of literally destroying our exceptional nation way of life. Let's not forget, it was the racist Democrat Margaret Sanger who convinced black Americans that because life was unfair, they should simply abort their babies. Mm. Today, Democrats' solution to unfairness is overregulation higher taxes to ironically redistribute it from the productive to the idle. No matter what changes may occur, Democrats remain the same. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Welcome, I'm Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Many veterans have been in the hospital throughout the pandemic without the ability to see family or loved ones. As a result, depression is on the rise. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and click on the donate button to contribute an MP3 system to a veteran. You can help fight depression. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. This has been your veterans tip of the day. a WCET late-nighter today. What is a late-nighter, you ask? A late-nighter is a loyal listener who wants access to the WCET radio shows on demand and wants to contribute to the station's growth with an annual or monthly listener contribution. Late-nighters also get priority access to host call-in shows, special WCET swag, and late-nighter-only events on the network. Become an annual late-nighter and get a free WCET Stop the Censorship t-shirt sent directly to you all over the world. Just click one of Become a Late-Nighter buttons all over WCETradio.com to subscribe. Without you, there is no us. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. I want to take the opportunity to once again encourage you to visit WCETradio.com, wherever you are in the world. From there, sign up, become a late-nighter. As we move into 2021, there's going to be more and more exclusive content for the late-nighters. It's going to be well worth the investment, and it's a great way to help keep independent talk radio on the air and available for consumption and 
it's a good thing, ladies and gentlemen. Also, I want to remind everybody on Halloween, this upcoming Saturday, not this Saturday, but a week from Saturday, the last day of the month of October, Halloween, 24 hours strong, the annual WCET Spookathon once again takes to the airwaves. I do have my official time slot. And as it turns out, uh, you don't really have to be up too awful early. Uh, I'm going to be on from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., so a two-hour spot. What I am going to end up doing, however, uh, just so you know, is I will be uh, doing a pre-record uh, for that time slot. And uh, I'm going to have to get with Cajun here uh, at some point next week. And we will do a special two-hour broadcast that will be exclusive for the fine folks at WCET, all part of the – but 24 hours, you're going to get to hear from almost all the hosts. They're all going to have a different time slot, and it's going to be great. So come celebrate Halloween with us, and while you're at it, become a late-nighter. That's, that's the big takeaway here. Now – if you have to be somebody that is listening to this rebroadcasted on another one of the great radio stations, whether you're talking about KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, or if you're talking about KDIL 105.7 FM in Kennewick, Washington, or possibly even KOII 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona, if you're listening on one of those shows, don't forget to show them their love too. If you enjoy the programming there, you need to let them know. And you need to support them too. Toughest time ever to be a single radio station uh, owner out there. And if you do happen to be fortunate enough to have a two or three radio stations, you are still behind the eight ball. You are still struggling. Show these folks your love and let them know what you're listening to. Let them know which things that you like, that you enjoy. Let them know that you are listening. That's one of the most important things. And remember, these smaller stations, these independent stations, they need your support. Independent radio needs your support, period, in the discussion. It doesn't really matter how big they get or how small they are. If they're independent, they're always having to fight the, the FCC regulations. They're always having to fight the major uh, networks that are trying to smush them down. And you know, if you do talk radio… Uh, especially if you manage to very wisely have conservative political talk because let's face facts that's that's where you should go if you do political talk radio then uh, then you're always having to fight those who just want to squash free speech as well so let them know that you love them support them become a late nighter do it right there and hey right now in the chat room this second Bringing it, boy, in the house, fashionably late on a Friday night. Welcome to the party, bringing it, boy. Glad to have you here. Look, look who I found. Look who I found. Gary Gumpeter has joined us. We've been missing him. He's back. Say hey. Glad to have you in here, boy. Now, a few other things happened over the last uh, couple of days. So actually, one of the, a couple of these stories I wanted to talk about today is outside of the norm of uh, for what I do because ordinarily when I come in on Friday night, I'm bringing you farm fresh stories, sometimes stuff that has just broke a couple of hours beforehand. But some of this stuff is from a little bit longer. You've probably heard a lot of talk about this next uh, story, but it's something that I've got 
to discuss. I have to because it goes to the very heart of what I was telling you about for becoming a late-nighter or supporting the other independent stations that you may be listening to, and that is the mainstream legacy media is out to squash free speech, and they're out to censor the information they allow you to know, and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, like we were talking about from last night's debate, when when Donald Trump was asking Joe Biden who built those cages, there are probably three quarters of this country that have no idea that the Obama administration built those cages that we saw those pictures of on Twitter in the height of the child separation at the border story, the frenzy that was going on there. But it's not just for-profit media. It is also taxpayer-funded media. Sometimes they censor in a more dangerous way by simply refusing to tell the story at all. NPR is up to that right now. In fact, NPR managing editor Terrence Samuels acknowledged this past week on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, that the news outlet has not been reporting on the Hunter Biden laptop story because the editorial staff there doesn't want to, quote, waste readers' time on what they consider pure distractions. Now, how do you like that? What they what they believe is pure distractions. They don't want to waste your time. So they have decided for you that you don't need to know. Now that's very different than like what I do. I have a limited amount of time to put together two hours worth of uh, content, less than that really when I have guests on. And I try to go through and find some stuff that maybe isn't getting the same level of coverage. And by the time I give you the information that's out there and then turn around and add my opinion to it, I rarely have time to get to more than three or four stories. And sometimes I'm hard-pressed to get off just one when I really get on a roll. These people have the time. They're simply choosing to ignore this story, and that's the issue. This is just a distraction. This is simply something that we shouldn't bother wasting our time with is what they're really saying. So uh, NPR Samuels explained to the readers that the Hunter Biden laptop story is a waste of their time, and they don't need to look into it. So yeah, we don't even need to bother. There's, there's nothing there. It's just people picking on Hunter. Poor kid. He lost his mom. He's lost his brothers. His dad's going senile. Oh, we're not supposed to say that part out loud. Ah, just a terrible kid. He's, he's had a rough go of it. Why are you just picking on him? Nothing to see here. Just move along. Samuels said, and I quote, <clears throat> We don't want to waste our time on stories that are not really stories. And we don't want to waste the listeners' and readers' time on stories that are just pure distractions. And quite frankly, that's where we ended up. This was a politically driven event, and we decided to treat it that way. Well, hey, guys, there's lots of politically driven events that aren't just distraction. 
there's lots of politically driven events that uh, it's kind of the, the whole purpose of media to talk about. Media in this country, when you talk about the standards of what journalism is supposed to be, what the expectations of what journalism claims to be, you're supposed to be out here being the guardian for the people, protecting them from the overbearing, silent efforts of both big government and big business. You're supposed to stand against the corporate greed of the major uh, corporations, but you're also supposed to be standing against the deceit and corruption of the politicians. And that's supposed to be true regardless of what letter is at the end of their name. What you're doing is actively preventing people that go to you as a trusted news source. Now, heaven help us We that anybody is left that's still doing this. I personally think that NPR is making the strongest case yet why they should no longer get taxpayer funds. And as we all know, without taxpayer dollars, there is no NPR. But when you decide to simply say this is a major story that could potentially point to corruption of Joe Biden, and again, that case hasn't been solidly made yet. I, I Based on everything that keeps happening, it looks more and more like Joe's been lying from the beginning. It looks more and more like there's a potential that Joe was well aware and was happy to lend his name to making lots and lots of money from foreign countries, especially when he was the vice president of the United States, especially when he was actually the administration's lead guy for policy regarding these particular nations. It's just strange coincidences, I'm sure. But there was once upon a time, once upon a time, and I'm not talking about some fantasy fairy tale now. I'm talking about the actual world of American politics. And I think we saw this through European politics. I think Gary would agree this once existed in Canadian politics as well. Once upon a time, there was this notion that the appearance of impropriety was enough for people to acknowledge they should not be involved in high-level stuff. It's like, look, if it even just looks like I could be compromised, then maybe I shouldn't be in this position. There's a lot to be said for that because, unfortunately, we live in a time – where major media outlets are more than happy to bury their heads in the sand if it's their guy. But they're more than happy also to spend 18 months pursuing a falsehood because the insurance policy didn't hold up. A politically driven event. There is there's nothing worth reporting. That isn't politically driven as far as what we can expect to see if we were to tune in to listen to NPR programming. Oh, there's an occasional book review. Okay, that's nice. Is it a political book? Lots of times it is. But what's the real deal? Are you going to talk about how uh, the smoking gun email seems to be there? No. This should be a story, and you should be willing to cover it even if you don't want to just because if you think it's false, if you think it's more Russian propaganda, Russian disinformation campaign, then this plays to your strength. 
This actually helps you to revive the Russia, Russia, Russia story, which is what some of you guys are running with anyway. So why not do that? If you think it's fake, if you think it's false, then you you go ahead and report it and say, here's what the deal is. Here's what they're trying to do now. And look, Rudy Giuliani's falling for it, and he's taking Trump with him. How sad. If that's what you really thought it was, that's what you would be doing. You got some folks currently holding office and a few folks here and there scattered amongst the media, particularly in places like MSNBC that no longer even pretends to be news media. Hey, we are opinion. Uh, Fine. They at least admit it, so I'm going to give them a little more credibility these days. They're a little more honest about that than they used to be. If you've got this situation, you have to report it. You have to – Look at how the campaign's handling it. If nothing else, you look at your candidate and see how well he can handle the first real issue that comes up when he gets tested by a foreign power. When was the last time we had somebody take office and they weren't tested within the first couple of months? It's been a while, right? I mean I think maybe Reagan was like the opposite of that. Uh, Reagan was about to take office, and there was a test already waiting, and the Iranians backed down right then and there because they believed Ronald Reagan really was the cowboy that he had portrayed in movies. That seems to be part of what happened. But when an editorial board decides that you just don't need to see a story that's almost as bad as Twitter deciding that they're not going to let you share… The Washington well, – not the Washington, but the New York Post story, even through direct messages. It's nearly as bad as Facebook saying, we're not going to let you share this until our independent fact checkers have a chance to check the story out. It's almost as bad as the 24-hour ban on my account on both those platforms, not for sharing the Hunter Biden laptop story, not for using the name Hunter Biden or Joe Biden… Not for anything like that, but for simply asking the question, how can you claim to be for the free flow of information when you refuse to allow information to be shared from a legitimate news story from a legitimate news outlet? How can you claim to be trying to protect the country from election interference while you are actively interfering in an election? And how can you claim to be a platform and not a publisher? When you are trying to completely control the level of other people's content, that was the post. They're they're back up. You can see them now. It was only 24 hours, but all I did was question that, and I posted that on multiple, multiple social media platforms. You know who didn't have a problem with that? Me, we. You know who didn't have a problem with that? Parlor. You know who didn't have a problem with? Gab, Spreely, Minds.com, every other place I put it. I'm trying to think of all of them. Uh, Hub.life. I might have even put that up on uh, Tipistry, but I, I don't recall if I did or not. But anyway, the, I digress. None of those social media platforms had a problem with it. Why do you think Facebook and Twitter did? Was their guilty conscience showing just a bit? Perhaps. 
perhaps. It never ceases to amaze me, though, the links that these people will go to to try and protect their guy. It never ceases to amaze me either the links that uh, people will go through in mental gymnastics to try to prevent from seeing the truth. I don't want this to be true, so I'm not going to let it be true, period. All right. Uh, Gary's actually asking a, uh, a question beforehand, and because I had to get into this topic, uh, I wanted to come back around to it. And uh, he was asking about uh, the uh, Red Death Wuhan bat stew flu epidemic. And uh, he was talking about how in Canada they're talking about uh, certain demographics are going to have to uh, be ready to take a vaccine as soon as one becomes available. In fact, I'm trying to scroll back up to it to, to see here. It says, yeah, uh, uh, quoting uh, Gary here, how are y'all liking uh, the communism virus so far? I say no to the mask and the needle. In Canada, the dumb SOBs are talking about certain demographics may have to get the needle first. Just saying. All right, so, um, yeah. Of course, uh, Crazy Cajun uh, made the uh, statement that uh, the only needle that he'll ever take now is when he's on his death. <laughs> the room for uh, shooting somebody. So basically, they're going to have to force it on him. Uh, Chief says that his eye on the left, blue check mark guy, uh, had this take on Hunter's laptop saying, quote, we have better verification that the information is false than the FBI. The New York Times and Washington Post said so. Ooh, oh, that is great. That is great. That's almost as good as the Biden campaign initially claiming that all the proof they needed that the claims were false was the fact that Twitter had shut it down. Yeah, the guys on our side who are trying to help us win, they say we're okay, so we must be okay. Please. Ridiculous stuff. But uh, again, that's the kind of thing that folks are out there doing. There are tons of apologists. There are tons of people trying to make this okay. And you know, you should expect the campaign to come out and say something like that. You should expect Joe Biden to give you flat denials and hoping that nobody's going to take the time to go check and see. In fact, given where Joe Biden is mentally right now, uh, there's a really good chance that maybe Joe Biden really believes what he's saying because he doesn't remember it anymore. Because he's only a couple more hours away from not remembering his name, so he needs to get back in time to take his meds and go back to sleepy, sleepy night, night time. Which is a real thing for Joe Biden. I, I, my sources have confirmed that. The same sources that anonymously report that uh, Donald J. Trump was colluding with Russia. The same sources. As I, I really have the kind of sources that would allow me to work for the New York Times if I chose to, but I can't stomach the lies. 1619, my backside. Okay. Well, looking at the clock, I really don't have enough time in this hour to get to any of the other stories, and I, I hate that. For those of you who are here live, stay put. Uh, we will uh, – 
power right on into our number two shortly. But for those of you that are listening at WCET, I'm about to have to say goodbye to you because it's just the, the first hour that you guys get live tonight. Now, the good news is the second hour will most likely be replayed at some point in the very near future, at some point on Saturday maybe or possibly on Monday or Tuesday. It all really kind of depends on how uh, how things play out. I would imagine most likely on Monday. Uh, every now and then uh, some of you guys – I still actually get the full two-hour blocks on the replays, and when that happens, you know, just stay right where you're at. But yeah, I have to do the whole reset. So rather than getting into one of these other stories right now, I'm going to save these other two for the next hour. I'm going to try to sneak them into just the top of the hour since I do have a top bottom of the hour guest scheduled. But uh, taking a peek in the chat room, we'll continue to do the discussion there. Uh, <laughs> uh, looking at Chief right now just said, uh, Tim, you should look at my personal Facebook page and check out the guy on my friends list with the check mark. Uh, his page is amazing if you like leftist echo chambers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I really need uh, to check out some because I get plenty of it uh, pushed back as it is. I get a lot of messages sent through the website, and so that shows up. I get my little notifications and my email for the show, and I have it set up that way so I'm not constantly being bombarded by it. I, I don't get constant notifications if you uh, are doing stuff on Facebook just when I go back on and check it. Uh, you know, When you've got everything on the apps and the apps are on your phone, it would drive you nuts getting those dings all the time. So I set it up that way, but I get all kinds of – uh, nasty, co which is really weird that all of them come from that homepage. I got a little section down near the bottom in case you also want to send me a message. You can go to tap into the truth, that's T A P P into the truth.com. And down near the bottom of the, the uh, homepage, there's a little section that you can just send uh, me a message. And I get all kinds of messages there. Uh, and uh, a lot of times there's pushback, something that I've said every now and then. Uh, I find it kind of fun and somewhat amazing that every now and then the messages are for a show from like 2015. You know, somebody took the time to dig that far back. Uh, maybe they came across a, a word search or came across a guest name or something that they were looking for, whatever it may be. But uh, yeah, I get plenty of leftist echo chamber pushback. Um, I purposely avoid Twitter for that reason. I, I, I post stuff and I get out of Dodge. <laughs> I'm kind of like a, a Twitter sniper. Just boom, boom, I'm there, bang, bang. Uh, there's what I'm posting, boom, I'm gone. And I come back just to make sure, and I get very little interaction because of that, and, and that's okay with me. But it does seem to be the place where kingmakers are made. You know, uh, if I really wanted to be a, a blue check mark, if I really wanted to become a a media celebrity, a big-time guy, I would probably need to spend more time there and actually engage and you know, uh, be a little smart. And I can be as snarky as anybody, so I, I would be at home there. <laughs> a chief says that uh, he never comments on his page lest he block me, <laughs> and, yeah, and that's fine too. It, it, that way it's kind of like being undercover, and that's good. But uh, yeah, if you really want to make it in media as some type of pundit, you either have to uh, 
get a bajillion subscribers on YouTube, or you have to get that blue check mark and engage uh, with both the fan base and those who would drag you into the street and have you shot because you dare to challenge them. But uh, at the end of the at the end of the day, I ain't got time for that. I literally work a full time job in uh, food manufacturing. I still have a uh, family where I've got one daughter still living at home, and I just have a, a relatively new grandchild. And uh, it's it's a time where we're about to transition where I'm going to not have to have quite so much time filled up by mandatory family stuff, but I'm still busy there too. And beyond that, I'm still writing for, uh, content for uh, multiple websites and uh, most recently – uh, a few pieces that have been picked up by multiple outlets, uh, uh, in particular uh, conservative daily briefing. Uh, Chief uh, saying that this guy is an editor-in-chief of a Silicon Valley tech publication. <laughs> well, then I guess we should expect that he should be like that. <laughs> That's just to fit in. He He may not actually believe that stuff. He may just be trying to not get booted out. Hey, guys, I'm one of you, see? Uh, cancel culture being what it is. All right, well, I'm quickly running out of time for the simulcast, so I guess I'm going to do the little hour reset right now. I think I've rambled long enough, but it was fun just engaging with the guys in the chat room for a minute. In the meanwhile, I want to remind you of who I am saying goodbye to right now. Remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and more importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. And I mean, while stay healthy, uh, stay safe and uh, be smart, even if that means going against your nature. For those of you that are here live at BTR, I'll be right back after this break. And for those of you listening live at WCET, bye for now, but tune back in again soon. I am out. like a thousand years since we had real fears but the old ones won't forget these broken levee walls had a few close calls but they haven't fallen yet and you know the rain Such a vicious drought, even hopes in doubt, but there are no clouds in the sky, but you know the rain. When you feel the first drop fall, when it kisses your skin, the storm will begin to bring with it promise of change. When you hear the thunder roll, the lightning to go.
because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? The Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing with all the usual caveats of course with you as always i am your ever so humble and you know mostly peaceful host tim tap committee live from historic roan county tennessee and uh, sadly to say the first hour or simulcast broadcast with wcet has come to an end but you know what the show is still rebroadcast both at wcet radio as well as KYAH 540 AM, Utah's Talk Authority, KDIL 105.7 FM in Kennebec, Washington, and KOII 94.5 FM in Flagstaff, Arizona. So, you guys are still getting to hear this, just not when it happens. So, for your benefit, and it's really just your benefit because the folks that are here live, they, they're still in the chat room right now. They know what time it is. Uh, the folks that are listening to the podcast, they had a chance to, to hear in hour number one. They know when this was done, but you may not know. So for your benefit, time of the live broadcast is Friday night. It is October 23rd. It is 2020, and it's a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern, and I'm getting kind of a full house in the chat room. Uh, most crowded has been in a while uh, hanging out with me live, so a quick shout-out to all these fine folks. Thank you for being here. We've got blogger extraordinaire Bigfoot. Check out his stuff at bigfootsplace.blogspot.com. we got bringing a boy in the house, which also usually means that uh, Suzette of Suzette Live is somewhere nearby as well. So uh, shout out to you guys. 
Uh, hope things in California don't have you down. Uh, we got crazy Cajun hanging with us. He was making sure that first hour simulcast went off without a hitch, and now he's here making sure that the recording for rebroadcast purposes is at optimal audio. We've got Gary Comforter, our friend from Canada, who uh, just doesn't have the time to get in here and spend with us as much as uh, we would like for him to, but he's busy. He's out there fighting on the front lines trying to help bring a little semblance of liberty and independence back to the fine, fine folks living in Canada. Uh, just popping in here just a moment ago, we got New Orleans Wake Up. He is one of our resident left-leaning folks who likes to pop in from time to time. Uh, sometimes he's friendly, sometimes he's stirring the pot, sometimes he's just flat out New Orleans, and that's about all you can say about him. Either way, he's usually fun to have around and uh, happy to see you here. Hang around with us, have a little fun with us on a Friday, sir. And then sitting down there uh, near the bottom of the list is Chief, uh, all because it goes in alphabetical order, and Chief is under his uh, screen name of QMCUSN. That's why the Q comes down there so far. Chief, of course, is a host of a great show in his own right called Simple Facts of Life. Uh, best way to find him if you are so inclined, and I highly recommend you do check it out, to go to blogtalkradio.com. Once you're there, you'll see a little search bar at the top of the homepage. Once you've landed there, you can put in QMCUSN, and it will uh, take you directly there. Or if you're driving around right now listening on one of these radio stations, and it's not exactly a good idea for you to stop what you're doing and start typing stuff into a – to your browser bar there, uh, then you know wait till you get home. Then if you can't remember uh, what it was, uh, put in simple facts of life. That's pretty easy to remember. You'll have to scroll down a little bit, but you'll find him. You can uh, join him live on Tuesdays starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. You, of course, can adjust to your time zone accordingly, or you can just listen to uh, a lot of great programs he has in the archives. All right, so uh, since I got to try to get to a couple of stories that I wanted to get to before tonight's guest is slated to join me, I'm going to forego the usual shout-outs to other hosts who are of noteworthiness uh, who are not currently with us. But uh, since technically uh, I haven't really uh, mentioned uh, Suzette, uh, other than to say that she is uh, probably nearby listening – uh, then I want to make sure that you can go check out Suzette Live. You want to go over to Spreaker.com and then look for the uh, Ideas Are Bulletproof Network, and you will find her show there. Uh, now, let's let's get on to this. First and foremost, it was really hard to uh, find news on most media outlets that wasn't related to either the debate or to Hunter Biden. And, of course, that's where a lot of people want to talk right now. It's very juicy. It's very salacious, and, and people, of course, want to enjoy that. Now, uh, we did talk about in the first hour the announcement that now it looks like the Sudan is going to officially recognize Israel. They're going to enter into this same uh, peace accords that uh, is ongoing with Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates and others. There was also another bit of uh, – News that a lot of people just haven't mentioned, and this actually came all the way back on late Wednesday. I've seen a blurb here and there, heard somebody talk about it, but nobody's really given it the time that it probably deserves. Uh, President Trump signed an executive order making it easier to both hire and fire certain government employees who work in important policymaking positions within the federal government and who – previously 
were guarded from removal by civil service protections. Now, a lot of you may say, well, what, what, why, is that a, why is that a good thing? Well, remember, he doesn't want to just go around firing people willy-nilly. He's really not the caricature that a lot of us came to know from The Apprentice, where he just goes around telling people, you're fired. Uh, but let's face facts. If you're ever going to deal with the swamp, then there is no bureaucratic position that should be safe either. We don't want, and nor should we want, every position in the government, particularly the federal government, to be filled with partisan hacks. We want people that are doing the job because they believe it's important work and they want to serve the American people. That's a reason why it's called the public sector. It's supposed to be public service. Everybody from the elected officials all the way down to the janitor working at the local DMV, uh, every one of these positions is supposed to be about public service. You know, you're not supposed to be head of the IRS because they want you to go after political opponents. You're not supposed to be the head of the FBI because they want you to target this person but exonerate this person. You're supposed to be doing a job that's supposed to exist outside of politics. But it's necessary and it's part of the government. That's, that's the dream, and the fact that I still believe it's even possible for that to occur does make me a bit of a – I don't know. I've been called a Pollyanna. That's not really a Pollyanna kind of viewpoint, uh, but uh, perhaps I'm still a bit of an idealist uh, or not a realist as I've been occurred, but uh, at any rate. Some people, of course, see this as a bad thing. Be, oh, no, now you're going to be able to fire people that uh, you probably shouldn't be able to fire. Uh, who, who should not be fireable working for the federal government? I, I, seriously, who should not be fireable? I mean I get if you're elected to an office, then the firing process probably should look a little more like an impeachment kind of situation or a recall election, now, things that are provided for for the elected offices. But if you're an hourly employee for a government department, who should not be fireable? Who should be protected from being – seriously? I, I don't see – now, just like with any other position in the uh, – in the private sector, if you're working in the public sector, any other position, there should be grounds. There should be legitimate reasons. You shouldn't be getting fired just because uh, you work for the last guy. All right. I mean, I, I'm on board with that. I don't like the idea of just coming in and saying, oh, well, you've uh, worked very well here at the uh, DMV for 14 months, but. Uh, we have a new governor of the state now, so uh, you got to – I don't like that. Now, that's just a example that has nothing to do with the federal government, but you get the, the gist. Now, the details here for this particular story is the fact that under this particular executive order, which creates a new classification for federal employees. It's called Schedule F. Uh, federal agencies will have more flexibility to hire and fire employees in confidential – policy-determining, policy-making, or policy-advocating positions who perform poorly. All right, so in other words, you got to be actually doing the job. That seems reasonable to me. 
But then I'm still the same guy that's saying that nobody should be unfireable. So, yeah, you know, maybe if I had one of these jobs, my opinion would be a little different. Uh, one of chief simple facts of life, if you will. Employees in these positions are normally not subjected to change as a result of a presidential transition. Uh, ordinarily, uh, uh, they're they're not particularly uh, they're not particularly subjected to very much as far as the transit. It's part of the bureaucracy. By definition, this is if you put certain people that are going to be political operatives instead of just doing policy work for the current administration, then you are by definition what we've been calling for a little while now the deep state or a swamp dweller depending on how far you want to take the vernacular. So you're talking about people that consequentially are able to make and design policy details and rules with little or no public accountability, and that's where people like me come on board and say we support this. Nobody who works in our federal government should be in a position to affect policy in any way and not be accountable to the people. If you're not accountable to the people, you have no business in the job for this government. We're the sovereigns of the country. We just – we hire folks to go do the people's work. That's the idea. It's an idea that still is hard to get to sink into the minds of a lot of these folks, particularly the political elitists because, they, hey, they like being there. According to this report, uh, the, uh, the order is intended to address what Donald Trump's administration has said is a concern about the growth of the federal bureaucracy and about an increasing willingness by Congress to delegate policymaking authority to executive branch agencies. Also a legitimate concern, and hey, anybody still want to say that this guy is just a tyrant when he seems to be pretty dedicated to the idea of separation of powers, understanding which powers belong to his office and which powers belong to another office, and also has been more dedicated to the idea of the federalist system that we actually have in place or at least that we're supposed to have in place, more so than perhaps any president who's held the office since Washington, I, I have a hard time seeing where anybody's still garnering any kind of traction when they claim Donald Trump's some kind of tyrant. He's anything but. He's been the exact opposite. He's embraced the ideas and principles that the Constitution has in place in an overwhelming majority of areas. My only real problem with him is sometimes he is a little too much of a populist in so much as he's willing to say things off the cuff before he's had a chance to really look at what he's saying, what the implications may be. Uh, and he says a lot of things that don't really fall within what the Constitution would constrain his office to be. But the other side of that coin is more often than not when he says those things – it certainly makes me cringe when he does – when he moves forward, after he has time to talk to advisors, when he takes a look at the Constitution itself, very rarely do you see any further effort to move those ideas forward. He respects the system. Now, sometimes it's hard to cut through all of the bravado and rhetoric. I mean, I, Donald Trump is a master of rhetoric. 
And I still come back to the fact that he's not an extremely precise communicator. Those are his greatest sins. I know there are others on the uh, we don't like Trump side that uh, don't see that for what it is. But at the end of the day, those are his biggest issues as far as how he has behaved as a president. But we're talking about in this executive order an effort to make it more answerable and to avoid these people being able to be put in position by people for political purposes as opposed to simply selecting the best people to do the job of pursuing the policies of the current administration. And when you do, in fact, have Congress doing the craziest thing ever, and we've commented about this several times, but Congress continues to just advocate its responsibilities. When are we ever going to get another budget passed? Ever? I, I think we're past the age of actual budgets. Nobody seems to be in the mood to try and bring those back either. The federal government should be operating with a budget. So they've, they've completely ignored that responsibility. They only seem to want to use whatever constitutional responsibilities have been laid out to them when they can use it for political purposes against a rival. And that's shameful. The EPA should not have the power that it has. It is a government agency. It's not a law-making body. But if they pass a regulation, uh, Congress just kind of greenlights it and says, oh, well, yeah, it's a regulation. It's the law, and they're happy with it until somebody like Donald Trump starts appointing people they don't like to run the EPA. Then all of a sudden it's a problem. Well, you put a coal guy. Anyway, in a statement that was released along with uh, the order, the White House noted that uh, previously removing career federal employees who performed poorly, even from critical positions, was time-consuming and difficult, typically taking between six months to a year. So as part of an effort to hold America's bureaucratic officials accountable, the order states that agencies need the flexibility – to expeditiously remove poor-performing employees from these positions without facing extensive delays or litigation. Uh, federal agencies' heads now have until January 20th of 2021 to determine which staff positions they will move into Schedule F designations. So, you know, that's kind of a big deal, and I – First of all, I like it myself. I'm a fan of this move. I don't know that these folks are really doing what they should be. What is going on? I was trying to peek back into the chat room, and now my chat has went wonky. I see that folks are still there, but it's trying to bump me into like a private chat with people who are not in the chat room. That is very weird. All right, let's see if I can… See if I can just reset the page here. We'll do a refresh and see if that works. So bear with me for just a second, guys. Sorry. Uh, da, 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 da. Is that going to work? And da, 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 da. Oh, great. Well, it's just not even going to show me a chat room. I'm, I may be actually having to log back in. Okay, that's better. <laughs> uh, peeking in. Uh, 
the, the, the last thing uh, New Orleans Wake Up put in, I'm campaigning with a group of uh, leftists for Biden. Our motto is we will never go right. It's in the wrong direction. But 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 that that's that's just not correct, New Orleans, because it's literally in the name. Uh, going right is automatically the right direction. It, it, it's it's in the word. Okay. Anyway, I'm just kidding with you, my friend. Um, this other story that I wanted to talk about, uh, while I still have a few moments too, before it's time to bring on today's guest, or at least hopefully we'll connect. I, I usually say scheduled because you know things happen. But uh, this, I think, has been very underplayed. A few folks have talked about it, but not as many as there should be because it shows some important movement going on in a state like California. Fresno District uh, – Fresno County District Attorney Lisa Smithcamp, I believe, she's been trying to deliver uh, what a lot of people consider a pretty powerful message to the California Democratic governor, Mr. Gavin Newsom. Also from back on Wednesday, uh, she was having a press conference that was dealing with the surge in violent crime caused by the release of criminals from prison. She made the statement, <clears throat> quoting here, stop using COVID-19 to promote your political agenda. The blood of the children being shot by out-of-control gang members in our city is on your hands and on the hands of every person who does not make public safety a priority. Now, the press conference, of course, was held the same day that San Quentin officials were considering whether to appeal the state's decision to release over 1,100 inmates. Smithcamp stated that, uh, quote, the law enforcement agencies represented behind her at this statement are the ones fighting on the front lines to bring peace to our community. We are in some of the most violent times that we have ever seen. In the midst of this, our last two governors vowed to close state prisons. Governor Newsom announced that he will close the state prison facility on Tracy, California on September 30th of 2021. Why is this relevant to why we're here today? It is relevant because we are lacking bed space to house local criminals who are shooting up our cities and killing our children and each other. His solution to COVID protection and prevention is letting them out of prison with no regard for their victims and the communities they will return to terrorize. So I just said it. Governor, open up the prisons. Do your job. Manage. Most times, this would be considered a pretty blunt, pretty powerful message. But the response from uh, the governor's office in the state of California has been, well, surprisingly quiet. It's not surprising that they don't want to stand up and defend the policy because when you, when you frame it in the context of you're putting dangerous people who are removed from these at-risk communities for a reason, and you're putting them out there because they don't want to quarantine them in a prison, it seems to me like they're already quarantined. 
seems to me like that's a good place to keep them, that by rights, they should have been fairly safe there to begin with from COVID. And then if COVID was brought in, it's because somebody wasn't following the other protocols that should have been in place. And I'm not saying that just because you're in prison you deserve to get the COVID and die because most people that could that get COVID don't die. Now, that's no relief to the folks who do become very sick and even more so for those that do. And again, I continue to say that because I don't want to sound like, oh, well, just because 99 people out of 100 uh, are okay, that doesn't mean we should just pretend like uh, that – Every 100 people, if one's uh, pulled out, that that doesn't equal lots and lots of people. Nah, it's not like that. Most people are in prison for a reason. And the bottom line here is if you've got nonviolent criminals and you can work something out, then hey, do that. But her point is manage. Do the job that you asked for. Why not? Why would you not do the job? It's When you're doing it right, it's a thankless job. When you're doing it right, you're going to have people of both political persuasions upset at you for part of the time because doing the job right means doing the things that make the most sense, and unfortunately that's never going to make everybody happy all the time. And it's okay to have an idea about how to go about it, and it's okay to try new things when the old things haven't worked, but it's also okay… To decide that if you tried something new and it's not working as well as what you were doing before, it's okay to go back to what you were doing before so you can come up with another plan. That's part of the job, the job you asked for, the job you begged for, the job you begged people for money so you could keep begging for the job. When a county district attorney is addressing the governor of their state in regards to public safety… That should raise eyebrows across the country, but this has barely gotten a peep to the majority of media. Opening up the jails, opening up the prisons, probably not a good idea if you're not very selective about who you're letting out. If you've got somebody that was in there for tax fraud and they haven't done anything violent since they've been in prison, and heaven help them how long they're going to survive if that's the case… Okay, you probably can work something out with getting them out of the jail if you feel like that's really what has to be done. But murderers, rapists, you know, Bill Clinton supporters, people who are dangerous to society, they should not be allowed to be a threat. All right, guys. Uh, time for the mid-hour break. Uh, you guys stay with me. We're going to do an Edwards Notebook and uh, Songs and Stories for Veterans Tip of the Day. Probably another promo for uh, WCET, and uh, you know uh, we'll hopefully have our scheduled guest on the other side of that. So you guys stay where you're at. We will uh, be right back. If you don't believe or prefer to ignore the fact that Democrats are on a never-ending mission to eliminate liberty and destroy the United States of America, boy, have I got a wake-up call for you. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, Democrats do not have good or positive ideas. 
that would help improve the quality of life for we the people, nor do they support good ideas for our nation. But what Democrats do have in support are wicked ideas that foster moral depravity, economic ruin, slothfulness, and tyranny. Since the days of slavery, Democrats have fought to enact any type of oppression. Their heroes like John Dewey, Karl Marx, Joseph Stalin, Iranian dictators, etc., would support. Ever since physical slavery of black Americans was abolished, Democrats have tried to use their political clout to oppress Americans in general. Today, Democrat officials like Mayor de Blah Blah of New York City and New York Governor Cuomo are pleased with non-mask-wearing throngs of rioters who burn and loot businesses while threatening to shut down churches and synagogues, but not mosques. The good news is that despite the slanted polls, Democrats shall lose on November 3rd, and America will be spared an early death. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. Welcome, I'm Dan Perkins with your songs and stories for soldiers, veterans, tip of the day. Many veterans have been in the hospital throughout the pandemic without the ability to see family or loved ones. As a result, depression is on the rise. Here's your veterans tip of the day. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us and click on the donate button to contribute an MP3 system to a veteran. You can help fight depression. Go to songsandstoriesforsoldiers.us. This has been your veterans tip of the day. Hello, Americans. Tim Tapp here again for the Tap into the Truth Voter Apathy Project. Are you someone that believes that taking guns away from law-abiding citizens makes America safer? Do you believe that fewer police in the communities that are suffering from the highest rates of crime is a good idea? Do you believe that Hollywood celebrities are so much smarter than the rest of us that we should listen to what they have to say and live our lives the way they want us to? Then congratulations, you've got what it takes to be part of the Voter Apathy Project. You've already demonstrated that you don't care enough to understand why the framers created the Second Amendment in the first place. You've also demonstrated that you don't care enough to understand crime statistics and why they matter. And you've also demonstrated that you're simply not willing to think for yourself. So, if you've said yes to any of those questions, maybe instead of going to go vote, you should just go watch another movie. This has been Tim Tapp reminding you that if you don't care enough to tap into the truth, you should just stay home on Election Day. Become a WCET late-nighter today. What is a late-nighter, you ask? A late-nighter is a loyal listener who wants access to the WCET radio shows on demand and wants to contribute to the station's growth with an annual or monthly listener contribution. Late-nighters also get priority access to host call-in shows, special WCET swag, and late-nighter-only events on the network. Become an annual late-nighter and get a free WCET Stop the Censorship t-shirt sent directly to you all over the world. 
Just click one of Become a Late Nighter buttons all over WCETradio.com to subscribe. Without you, there is no us. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with me through that very brief break. I want to remind everybody to go ahead and sign up to become a late nighter as soon as you can. And programming note, quick reminder, all day Halloween, the annual Spookathon is ongoing, so be sure to join all of your favorite hosts at WCET. Uh, doing something outside of the norm uh, in different time slots, just all kinds of things, mixing everything up, you know, because that's what we do. And don't forget to subscribe. Become a Late Nighter. Again, lots and lots of great exclusive content to Late Nighters beginning in 2021. There's already some. It's going to be a lot. And with all that being said, it is now time to welcome tonight's guest to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a uh, first-time guest, so everybody make her feel welcome. We're talking about Miss Danielle D'Souza Gill. She's, of course, a young author. She's a commentator who currently is uh, living in New York City, and uh, you know that's that's not exactly safe territory for somebody who tends to to be a purveyor of free speech and free thought. But uh, Miss Gill is. She is a graduate from Dartmouth College. She's the author of Why God, an intelligent discussion on the relevance of faith. She's uh, been uh, in videos for PragerU. She's been the Turning Point USA ambassador. She's been on uh, multiple shows on TV and radio stations, uh, every place from Fox News to One America, Newsmax, Salem Radio. She's uh, the youngest advisory board member of the Women for Trump. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Miss Danielle D'Souza Gill. Uh, first of all, ma'am, thank you so very much for joining us this evening. Is it all right if I call you Danielle? Yes, that sounds great. Thank you so much for having me on the show. All right. Well, it's definitely a pleasure. I wanted to thank you first of all. You were scheduled to join me last week, and unfortunately I fell very ill, and we weren't able to square things away. You were very kind in being so willing to come back and be with us. I certainly appreciate it. And I thought it was very timely, your newest book. Now, this new book, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, you decided to take a, a very thoughtful approach to looking at all the arguments, and you framed it in a very unique way because you looked at all the myths that surround it, all the things that the people that are for abortion like to put out that are outright lies for the most part, and if they're not an outright lie… There are lies that are wrapped up in some type of leftist dogma, but you still presented it in a way that wasn't necessarily attacking somebody for uh, believing these things, but challenging them as to why they would believe them. And you took all these different steps, so I really appreciate the approach, but uh, it's a good time to talk about this because how nuts… Uh, a lot of folks on the left have went because of the impending appointment of Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. You've got all kinds of folks thinking that just Roe v. Wade is just – it's gone. Obamacare is just gone. None of these things are going to be in place after she's put on the court, which is just the type of insanity that your book argues against. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious though, Daniel, what made you decide that this was the topic you wanted to broach with your second outing uh, for the books? Well, I think 
that what's most disturbing to me is the fact that the left really celebrates abortion today. They used to say that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, but now they argue things like abortion empowers women or abortion is health care. And I think that why the left has been so disturbed by Amy Coney Barrett's uh, nomination is the fact that they know that she really does kind of defy their narrative. She defies the narrative that you have to have an abortion in order to be empowered. She's a very successful uh, woman. She's a very successful judge, and she also has a family. So I think it actually uh, makes a lot of sense in a way that they are criticizing her on, you know, what, do you, what, what, what could your views be of Roe v. Wade? What could your views be of health care and so on? Because they want to make it seem like if you somehow lean right, then you must want to take away women's health care, which is, of course, not the case. Right. Well, you know, while all that is clearly obvious to those of us who pay attention, we've watched this almost cult-like following. Uh, It's somewhat surprising to a degree how religious of a a connection this is for folks on the left to abortion, to climate change, to the state itself, all the power, let the state take care of you. Uh, amongst a group that constantly defies the value of religious belief. But the notion that you can logically look at abortion, that you can logically look at the murder of the preborn, and not be, that you can be against it, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be from a, rel- a religious standpoint, just a valuing of human life standpoint, is almost a shocking thing to these folks. I've literally had conversations with people. That it was almost like they short-circuited trying to to get around to this notion to make that argument, but it, it still brings me around to uh, asking you the question of why this topic and why now? Uh, I mean, clearly you you mentioned that you saw all these things, and but this is something that's been ongoing for a while. Was there something personally? Was a was there a specific conversation? Was there a specific event that made you decide? This is the next topic. Yeah, so I was in college during the 2016 election, and I really saw kind of these Planned Parenthood supporters, that whole side, really rallying behind Hillary. And when I moved to New York, I saw Governor Cuomo light up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate nine-month abortions without a medical reason. And he said this is something he hopes the rest of the nation follows. About seven states allow abortion at nine months. And um, I just found this to be incredibly disturbing and something that we actually don't really talk about enough. I know that there's a big divide in America on this issue, but I think that this should be something that we can all agree is a very horrific procedure, a very horrific thing to happen. And I honestly think it's the fact that many Americans actually don't know about this going on. They don't know the details on it. And that's why I wanted to dive into debunking these pro-abortion myths in my book so that people can say, okay, here's the myth, here's the response, in a very organized, easy-to-read easy way, because I think in many ways we are in a bit of an information war when it comes to people actually knowing the truth on this issue. All right. Now, one of the points that you make quite clearly uh, early on is the fact that on this issue, as well as a few others, but on this issue in particular, you have two sides that are dug in so firmly to their side of the argument that 
when there's an attempt to have a conversation, usually all we do is we talk past each other. Nobody's really listening to the other side. But you put this in a way that it's almost sneaky uh, that somebody might accidentally start thinking a, a little bit about and, and that's where the arguments of the left really fall apart on this and several other arguments as well. But uh, when they take the time to stop and think about stuff, when they stop and think about, well, why shouldn't men have a voice in this discussion, which is one of the issues you addressed? Uh, why should we consider Planned Parenthood to be a healthcare provider when the only services they provide are abortions and, and I think it's what 87% of their overall facilities, uh, they can provide abortions on site. But if you need the mammograms or the other health care that they uh, claim to provide, all they do is refer you to a, a clinic nearby, a clinic you could have went to in the first place. Uh, all these little simple arguments that's easy enough to debunk, but maybe enough to start the conversation if they're willing to, to go down that rabbit hole. Uh, have you had much in the way of pushback in regards to how you presented this information? I have not in terms of – I have not had anyone who is a pro-choicer say, this is something pro-choicers never say, Danielle. They never say my body, my choice. They never say a fetus is a custard cells because they say it all the time. So um, as far as the representation of their argument, I really do take it – um, at face value, and I look into, you know, what are the people who are really on the front lines on their side saying? And um, I like to give their argument kind of um, its full treatment. I like to give them the benefit of the doubt. I like to really dive into what exactly they're saying because um, I think that, you know, whenever you kind of take something out of context, it can be different. But I, I really like to dive into it genuinely because I think that's the only way we can have a genuine discussion of this issue and actually say, okay, here is the response and here is the information as far as that goes. And, you know, you mentioned mammograms. Exactly. They don't offer mammograms. And uh, Planned Parenthood, something else that's very disturbing is the fact that they don't want women to see their ultrasound. Statistics show us that the more times women see their ultrasound, the more likely they are to not get an abortion. And so if the left is saying, this is just a healthcare procedure, this is just like anything else, well, then why can't the woman know what's happening? Why can't she know what you're doing in this procedure, and they absolutely hate to talk about it, and they hate to show that to women. Yeah. Well, yeah, if you take a few seconds to, to see an image and realize that, hey, that is a real live human being, that uh, it is alive. It's not just a clump of cells. Uh, it's moving. You, you can see <laughs> that softens hearts and also softens the desire to just terminate uh, so clearly that they have an agenda. And I've always been amazed at the fact that uh, folks on the left have been so supportive of Planned Parenthood uh, despite their false narratives of being for minorities when in a lot of ways that's what Planned Parenthood was designed to do was to eliminate minorities in the country. Uh, Margaret Sanger was a eugenicist of the first order, and she's still held as a hero by some. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. But during the course of digging into research for the book, and this is a question I usually ask just about every author that comes on, um, did you come across anything that you were completely shocked or surprised by? I mean, a lot of us have a general idea of what happens if. 
if you're a junkie like uh, like a lot of the listeners of the show, if you're a political junkie, you know these arguments. You, you know a lot of the information. But as you did your deep dive, did you come across anything that you didn't know before that really surprised you or shocked you? Yeah, I did many things. I would say one of the big ones was actually um, I have this chapter called um, where I debunk the myth saying that you have to be religious to be pro-life. And in doing my research on that chapter, I came across Christopher Hitchens, the prominent atheist. And he talks about how um, he's a materialist and how we not only have bodies, but we are bodies in the sense that he does not believe in an afterlife. He believes in pure annihilation. So he says that if we only have one life to live, it had better be good. And so the ultimate wrong is to take away someone's only life on this earth, someone's only chance at living. And he was uh, anti-abortion. And so in that chapter, I really go into how you can be secular, you can have, you know, um, any religious worldview and realize that human life is something that we need to protect. Human life is not something to throw away in the trash as if it means nothing. Um, I think another thing that I really learned and found just to be horrific is the fact that even when it comes to a second trimester, third trimester, um, also first trimester, no matter what, um, children in the womb, when they're aborted, when they're dismembered, they are not anesthetized. So they are really in pain, even after points where we absolutely know 100% that they're in pain. And I think that to me showed that, you know, wow, to, to, to say that you want to kill this human, that's step one. But step two, to say that, you know, you are okay with this child suffering while you are killing them in a long process, I think is something that really sat with me. And then probably thirdly, what um, I found to be really um, interesting is how Planned Parenthood literally mobilizes thousands of people whenever they need them with text messages for their political goals. So they are not simply a healthcare organization like maybe St. Jude's Hospital. They are a political organization that is an arm of the Democratic Party. They only donate to one party, and that's the Democrats. Yeah, yeah I think the most uh... – disheartening aspect of uh, the financial transactions that occur at this level is the fact that uh, Planned Parenthood continues to get millions of dollars every year of federal taxpayer dollars, and they literally don't need it. They have managed to bully and use cancel culture even before that was a term we were using to force uh, private sector businesses to to provide them donations and contributions, and they do that under the guise of being a healthcare provider. They did it under the guise of being a um, information, instructional, educational organization. And they've managed to to find themselves a home inside of many public schools, or at least they had for some time. That's not as much of a push for them these days, but they still, in certain rural areas, have a major presence. And all of this. While they just continue to get taxpayer dollars that not only do they not need, but many honest, earnest Americans, regardless of religious belief, as you pointed out, who simply believe in the sanctity of life, have serious misgivings about their taxpayer dollars going to such a organization regardless of what they claim that clearly is heavily involved in the intentional uh, industry that is the slaughter of unborn children. Exactly. And that's why I think it was so important that President Trump held Planned Parenthood accountable to, to, to Title X. This is what Planned Parenthood calls, calls the gag rule, 
which basically stated that you have to separate your abortion services from your other health care services. And Planned Parenthood came back and said, no, we actually can't do that. We have to keep them commingled because abortion is so key to what we do in most of our facilities. And so that's why they lost that funding. And I'm actually really looking forward to them um, if Trump gets reelected to losing even further funding. But I think that that is absolutely key as far as kind of making sure that they are not getting federal dollars, even if it's supposedly going to their other services, because, of course, that enables them to do their abortion. Um, we definitely need to put an end to that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. I know that uh, that the, the new book has not been out that long, but uh, are you already working on your next project? Because I, I have a feeling you're not the type of lady that likes to uh, sit back and not be working on something. <laughs> well, I am constantly on the go. I've been, um, of course, working on this book and now with the book out, trying to um, make sure it gets out to as many people as possible. I do a lot with the Trump campaign, so I'm actually going to be in Pennsylvania tomorrow uh, with Nikki Haley. We're going to be trying to do outreach to swing voters in Pennsylvania, so I'm really hardcore um, until we get to the election day. And then after that, I will definitely take a day off. But I'm not sure for, about my next book yet. I know I would love to write another book, but I'm still pondering what issue next. I'm 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 still thinking, so stay tuned. <laughs> All right, that's fair enough. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for spending uh, part of your uh, very precious time with us tonight. And uh, before you go, please let everybody know where they can find the book. Feel free to share any websites you'd like to. And if you're inviting people to follow you on social media, feel free to share that as well. Yeah, so my social media is Danielle D'Souza Gill on all platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler, and my book is called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America. It is bright pink, so you won't miss it in the bookstore, but it's also on Amazon and um, Audible if you like listening to books, uh, ebook as well, so all of the spots, um, and I think it would be uh, a great read or gift to a friend. All right, man. We'll definitely keep up all the great work. And, uh, as tough as it is to keep up the hectic schedule, just remember we're almost at the home stretch for this election cycle. Uh, you'll have a well-deserved uh, deep breath you can take right there, and hopefully we can get back together and talk again real soon. I, I certainly hope we can. I would absolutely love that. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that was, of course, Miss Danielle. D'Souza Gill. And uh, she mentioned you can find her at almost any of the major social media platforms. I recommend you go track her down on Parler because, uh, uh, let's face it, that's where we are most welcome these days. Insta uh, being all right, though. Facebook being uh, still tolerable and you're careful about your circle of friends. Uh, but let's face it, social media is uh, it's not very social. Uh, for conservatives. I think I titled a show that uh, like a few years back, so it's not a new phenomenon either. Okay, so I've been going through the book, by the way, and I want to highly recommend those of you who have an interest in this particular uh, topic uh, to pick up a copy. I think it is a good read. It is laid out in a way that addresses multiple myths, and that's exactly what they are, 
multiple myths that have been played out by the left, and she's done it in such a great way. I mean, it, it's it is very well done. I mean, I, I I don't know how to better say that other than to continue to remind you, best very well done. I'm actually trying to get my uh, digital copy to to pull up right now so I can go over the chapter titles with you just to give you an idea. Obviously, I'm not going to read you the book on air, uh, not only with that kind of short circuit, the effort to try to get you to go pick up a copy, uh, but uh, just these uh, chapter titles are well worth uh, piquing your interest, I would hope. And now I've got it. I've got to get it on up. Uh, like I said before, if you're here at uh, Blog Talk Radio, uh, in the show description, there is a link. Uh, it doesn't show up the way links normally do, but it is still underlined and italicized and bold, so you'll see it. You can click on it, follow it there. It'll take you to Amazon, pick up a copy. But uh, you're talking about uh, uh, chapter one, uh, the first – she literally goes through and says chapter one, chapter two, chapter whatever, and then uh, lists what that myth is. I had it right here, and it went away. Uh, chapter one, myth, life begins when the baby is born. So they – right off the bat, she's addressing the fact that life begins at conception, boys and girls, and well before that baby is born, it is alive. Uh, chapter two, myth, even if it's technically a human life, the fetus doesn't feel anything or know what's happening anyway. Uh, chapter three, myth, there is a difference between a human being and a person. Yeah, we've all heard that. We've all wanted to smack people. Uh, chapter four, myth, abortion is a simple and safe procedure. Uh, then they move, Then she moves – that's part of the uh, introduction that moves to the My Body, My Choice section. Uh, that next chapter, myth, the Constitution guarantees a right of privacy. Abortion, therefore, is a constitutional right. Yeah, uh, Roe v. Way, and uh, that was the logic used to come to their conclusion that it was – Every legal expert, even legal experts on the left, have agreed that it was very poorly uh, decided. Uh, chapter 6, myth, abortion must be taxpayer-funded. Uh, we touched on that a little bit in the conversation. Chapter 7, myth, women have the freedom to choose what they want to do with their body. And uh, that's a myth because there is a right to do what you want to do with your body to a point. But then once it becomes what you're doing to someone else's body, in this case you have another person growing inside, that changes. The bar has just changed, and so she addresses that. Uh, chapter 8, myth, men do not belong in the abortion debate. Uh, then uh, she moves to the section called a positive good. That next chapter, chapter 9, myth, abortion is necessary in order for women to fully control their own bodies. Uh, chapter 10, myth, abortion empowers women. Yeah, that's got to be one of the biggest lies out there. Chapter 11, Planned Parenthood is not primarily an abortion organization. It's a women's health organization. We talked about that. Keeping abortion legal affirms the separation of church and state. I, you know, I've only heard a couple of people try to make that argument, and it has to do with the fact that they're moving towards the religious argument. Oh, you've got to be – you don't have a right to force your religious beliefs on me. This isn't about a religious belief. It's about a belief that all life is precious. Now, mine is informed by my religious belief, but before I became uh, as religiously awakened as I am presently, uh, 
when I was a young guy, I was pretty agnostic across the board. I still believed in the sanctity of life. I always have. Life is precious and should be protected, especially those that are not in a position to protect themselves. Anyway, let's see. Where, where did I lose it? Then she moves into another section that's called The Lesser of Two Evils. And that next chapter myth is I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I don't have the right to force my beliefs on someone else. Uh, chapter 14 myth, abortion is never an ideal choice, but forcing a woman to carry out a pregnancy will cause her uh, too much emotional pain. Uh, myth 15, uh, outlawing abortion doesn't decrease the number of abortions. And go on and on and on another section, a better off dead. Uh, 21 chapters, 21 different myths, then uh, a conclusion, the notes in the index. Uh, and you know, just sitting here reading that off doesn't make for very compelling radio, so I'm going to stop right there. But I, I wanted to point some of these things out so that if you have the least bit of interest in the topic, uh, this is the type of word. And uh, Daniel D'Souza Gill, she does not just scratch the surface and move on. This isn't just the uh, – I'm uh, setting and having a, a panel discussion on the local access news with uh, someone like uh, New Orleans Wake Up. Uh, this, <laughs> this is her deep dives into the topics, doing thorough research, and laying out the legitimate case of why these things are myth and not – what the leftist wants to play off as legitimate factual arguments that instill those emotional responses they want. Anyway, I am out of time, boys and girls, so thank you so much for being here. As always, I greatly appreciate it. Bigfoot, bring it up, boy, and Suzette. Uh, Gary Comforter, we have missed you, sir. Glad to have you here live with us. Uh, hope you'll be able to join us more often, but I understand you're a busy guy. I get it. Trust me, I really get it. And, of course, Chief hanging out with us as well. Crazy Cajun still recording, but he just went on. But I have got to say goodbye for tonight, and I will miss you all. I will hopefully be back Sunday. That's the plan. Join me live then, if you will. You know, otherwise, uh, check out the archives or go over to Spreaker and listen over there. I, that's actually what I'd prefer you do if you're catching it afterwards. Remember. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, men and women, and the people of all various ethnicities, religious beliefs, and even uh, backgrounds from what planets you come from. Uh, so I, I have to make that uh, make that concession for Chief, since he's from the planet Zontar. Uh, <laughs> thank you for being here, uh, and remember, whatever else you do, do not take my word for it. Don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and more importantly, use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, you know, be smart, even if it kind of goes against your nature. I'm out for now. You guys have a great weekend, and hope to see you back soon. Bye-bye. Just a little squirrel
feel safe to do all wrong You say gun control Is using both hands Founders knew the second amendment Was the final one to keep To hold our other rights intact So we'd never become sheep Stalin, Hitler, Malamine, and Pol Pot They told us things that you never forgot Is using both hands Well I prefer the 308 to the tiny two to three Gives me more than a thousand yards to protect my family Using both hands.